just going back to the song we sang, we raise our banner, God our Savior, and the imagery, if you think of a Christian flag, you're, we're raising our banner because we're identifying with the cause of Jesus Christ. There are some followers of Christ that keep their banners tucked away in the trunks of their cars, and that's not where they should be. We need to pull them out, lift them up, raise our banner, because he goes before us, he leads us, and we're, we're going public and enjoying that relationship with the Lord because he is our mighty God. So I uh, just want to encourage you. It fits in with this morning's talk. It will. And, um, and, and with that, so be it. We have Bibles on the back table. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we believe at Life Church that we can read the Bible and apply it to our lives. We trust it. It's God's spoken word. It can radically change your life if you read it and apply it. And so if you don't have a Bible or you didn't bring one today, grab one and, um, and follow along in, in this morning's talk. And then on the back of your program, there's an outline um, with the points that we will be dealing with. Just want to get a shout out to the dudes up in the sound booth this morning and the worship band. You know, um, they're here early on Sunday morning, very early. They're up before the birds are out and, and uh, they stay through the second gathering. It's a long day, but uh, never a complaint. And just appreciate all the teams, all the volunteers uh, at Life Church. We, we couldn't do it without you. So thank you for, um, for everything. On the screen, you may recognize this man, Jeffrey Dahmer. He was convicted of 17 murders back in February 1992. 11 bodies were found in his apartment. Living in Milwaukee, man, he just kind of shook that city. Disturbing pictures of Jeffrey were um, placed in newspapers, television cameras. You'd see, man, his face is frozen. He doesn't have any emotion. No remorse, no regret. And uh, when he was sentenced to life in prison without parole, uh, yes, the cameras were there rolling, and many would write him off as a hopeless, evil and on and on it would go, person. And so if we took a vote this morning, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, good, bad, um, I think we'd kind of lean to the bad side, right? We would. But that's not the end of Jeffrey's story. You see, when the TV cameras were rolling and, and when Jeffrey was sentenced to life in prison without parole, there was a man watching from Oklahoma And when he saw Jeffrey's face, he was like, man, God, you you can change him. And so he sent Jeffrey a Bible correspondence course on steps to salvation. Jeffrey filled out the information and mailed it back to this man in Oklahoma. And through the process of going through these Correspondent classes, Jeffrey placed his faith in Jesus Christ. 
The man from Oklahoma got in touch with a pastor in Milwaukee who started visiting Jeffrey and discipled him. Jeffrey put his faith in Christ, asked Jesus to forgive him of all his sins. Uh, he was baptized, had a brand new life, started reading the Bible, read Christian books, and started attending chapel in the prison. His sins were washed away. His soul was cleansed, his past forgiven. Think about that. It sounds familiar if you read your New Testament, because when Jesus was hanging on the cross, there were two criminals right and left side of him. And one of them, near death, um, could have asked for mercy from the people that he had offended, committed crimes against, but they would have denied it. If he asked the government for mercy, they would have declined. If he would have asked uh, the community, they would have turned a deaf ear to him. But this man did not turn to those folks. When Jesus himself was hanging on the cross, he said to his father, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. This criminal realized that no matter how bad his past was, that what Jesus said was true. And while he was dying, he put his faith in Christ. And in Luke 23, it says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, if we would have voted here this morning like we did with Jeffrey Dahmer a few moments ago, we would have signed off on him and said, it's too late, you're too messed up, it's a hopeless case. It's a good thing we're not God. Because Jesus said, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. And Jeffrey Dahmer did that. You know what's cool? is even though Jeffrey Dahmer placed his faith in Christ inside a prison, no matter where you did it, uh, we were in the same condition. The fact of the matter is, if there is one sin that you've ever committed in all your life, that one sin is enough to keep you out of heaven. And yes, Jeffrey Dahmer committed more than one sin, but he was still a sinner like you and I were before we put our faith in Christ. So whether it's inside a prison or it's in a church, or for me it was at a summer camp up near Canada in the Boundary Waters. It was a wilderness camp for young boys, uh, young men I should say. And God had been coming after me and I had been pushing him away. And finally I said, I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to ask Jesus for forgiveness. I'm going to allow him to be the master of my life, and that was the tipping point. So this morning, just want to throw this out, that no matter if you're in prison or out of prison or if you're in church putting your faith in Christ, we never should come to the point in our lives where we put our nose up in the air. When we look at somebody like Jeffrey Dahmer, friend, we were sinners, We were all sinners, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, all of us. And we see God's grace and his forgiveness being extended to to Jeffrey Dahmer, to me, to you. What a gift it is. And this morning, when we look at uh, the text that Jesus is going to be talking about, you'll you'll be able to identify 
with Jeffrey Dahmer because Jesus knew back when he told his story that Jeffrey Dahmer one day would put his faith in Christ. And that's pretty cool. So on the back of your program, there's an outline you can, you can track. Um, have a pen, pull it out. Let's take a look at uh, Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, chapter 13. And um, we're going to start at verse 24. Now, if you start at the, the beginning of Matthew 13, verse 1, later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake, and a large crowd soon gathered around him. So he got into the boat and taught. So he's been teaching, and now he tells another parable in that same chapter. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field, But that night as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer explained. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest, and I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. So this morning, when we start looking at this, this parable, this story that Jesus is telling, uh, the world that Jesus was living in, and 2,000 years ago, and he's looking into the future because... This parable talks about the future. Um, Is the world getting better or is it getting worse? And depending on who you talk to, depending on the time of history, we would get uh, different responses. If we were to go back to World War II, let's say, when the world was at war, people would say the world is getting darker. Man, it it looks hopeless But when the Allies gained the victory and Japan and Germany surrendered, the world suddenly became greater, better. But what was interesting was during World War II, church attendance spiked in this country, even over in England. Uh, During that conflict, people found time to go to church. After the war was over, the Allies won, those numbers dropped off. The economy picked up in the United States. People became uh, content with their lifestyles, the way their, the world was going. God was soon forgotten. So again, when you look at World War II, even in the midst of the darkness and chaos in the world, people were searching for God. And after the war, when people would say, yeah, the world's better, well, those numbers dropped off. And so it's interesting that here we have Jesus um, telling the story to the crowd and ultimately zooms in on his disciples. That gives a little background on it. So number one, in your notes, life's not fair. Um, Life is not fair. Why is that? Verse 24, 
The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and then slipped away. So we're talking about wheat and we're talking about weeds. Now, nobody likes weeds, do they? I think we'd all go, nah, no, we don't like weeds. Um, the thing is, with weeds, you don't do anything and they show up. <laughs> you know? That, that's where life isn't fair, man. It's, you know, you don't do anything. You're, you're living your life, you're minding your own business, and, you know, you think, hey, everything's cool, life is getting better, and blah, blah. And all these weeds start popping up in your yard. It's like, man, what is going on? Well, that's kind of what's going on in my yard. Uh, last week, I had to buy some more weed be gone. Why? Because when weeds grow, you want to get rid of them. That's kind of like an instinct. It's built into you. We, you don't want to, hey, man, I want to have a beautiful yard of weeds, man. I want a real variety of weeds in my yard. You know. so, so I've been you know, pretty aggressive over the, over the summer, putting uh, fertilizer down, etc. But, man, last week I noticed... These weeds were just like exploding. And so instinctively, I went to the store and bought some more Weed Be Gone. Why? Because I don't like weeds. Jesus is kind of telling the story that here you have a group of farmers uh, and you have the workers that are working for the farmer and they're working hard Every single day, they're, 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 they're honest, hardworking farmers and workers on the farm. And they went to bed at night. And you know, if you work on a farm, man, you're, when the sun goes down, you're tired, you know. And you, go, you climb into bed, you close your eyes, and it's over to the next morning. So these, these workers, they're, they're working hard. They put good seed into the ground. And because they went to sleep, it says that an enemy came on that farm. Their security system must have been turned off that night. And it says that he planted seeds, not good seed, weed seeds into that field. And these workers are thinking, you know what? Um, this isn't fair. This isn't right. Life isn't fair. You know, we, we've, we're honest, we're diligent, and... These weeds are just automatically growing. Can I tell you that that's the way it'll be? As long as you're living on planet Earth, we do not live in a perfect world. It's broken. And it goes back all the way to the Garden of Eden when, the, when Adam and Eve sinned, weeds began to grow. Symbolically and physically. Weeds began to grow. And it spread throughout this planet. And so we need to be reminded of this fact that this world, with the weeds, with the impact of sin on our culture today, um, this is not our home. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, heaven is my home. And heaven is going to be perfect. There will be no weeds in heaven. So I'm passing through, but this is not my home, and I'm okay with that. I'm on my way to heaven. And I'm looking forward to the day when there will be no more weeds. 
on my land. How about you? Yeah, yeah. So life is not fair. And, you know, some people think, you know, it's, uh, uh, where's God in the midst of all this? And they question God. God, uh, uh, you know, he must be old and he's detached and he's not paying attention and he's not worried about it. God, when, when you get to know God, you'll find out that that is not how God is. He, he is not detached. He is not unevolved, involved with your life or my life. In fact, he wants to be invited in. But he's allowing the weeds to grow next to the wheat on purpose. I want you to think about that. He's doing it. He's allowing it on purpose. Why? Can I tell you Jeffrey Dahmer was a weed? Hmm? Wasn't he? And God did something about it, just like he did it for you and for me. So evil in the world is a result of Satan's work. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 45, he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. So the last couple of weeks, we've resurrected um, Leave it to Beaver, the old TV series. It's kind of funny, you know, because when you watch Leave it to Beaver, it looks like, man, this is a, this is a perfect family and this is a perfect world. And we tend to reminisce on years gone by, you know, how much better it was then. But can I tell you something that things were not good even for Leave it to Beaver, I mean, he had his problems, and so did his family along the way. Hollywood has a way of of taking uh, things and presenting itself. It looks so attractive. It looks inviting. But the fact is, Hollywood and our culture, they never pull back the curtain to show you the results and the consequences of those choices and decisions. They only show you the positive. And so it's true that life is not fair. But one day, God is going to do something about it. There's a professor at Yale University named Miroslav Volf. He's from Croatia. He lived in Croatia in the 1990s. And uh, back during that time, life in Croatia was, was brutal. And this is what he writes. The Serbs would come and kill your children, and then they burn your house down. He said, if you don't believe in a God who brings justice, who punishes evildoers, then when someone comes into your home and kills your children, burns down your house, what are you going to do? Go do that and more to those stinking Serbs. But let's say you believe that there is a God who will punish and remove the evil. Then you don't have to do it. You don't have to take matters into your own hands and don't have to retaliate and take revenge and kill them. Believing in a God who brings justice and removes evil people may sound like a terrible doctrine. It sounds like it would lead to more violence, but it actually leads to less violence. In fact, it's the only doctrine that can restrain violence, and it's the one Jesus taught. So what Jesus is saying to this group of people, the disciples, Instinctively, you want to pull the weeds out. 
But he's saying, don't do it. I'm going to take care of it. And that's exactly what this professor is saying. That Jesus teaches us to trust him with our lives and with our future. So we know that Satan is at work and he's opposing God's kingdom. And life is not fair. In fact, there's a couple stories in the news recently. Um, An Iowa father hailed as a hero after he dies while saving his five-year-old daughter from a dog attack. And it it talks about um, back in June 4th that he stood between his daughter and the dog and was mauled to death to save his daughter's life. There's another story. A Georgia man dies saving his eight-year-old daughter in the Florida waters. He was trying to rescue his eight-year-old daughter from from a rip current in Florida. His wife came out. He handed his daughter to his wife, and then he was pulled out to sea and drowned in the process. These are just two out of, we could say, thousands of life is not fair stories that have happened in just the last two weeks, friends. And you have to realize that. We live in a broken world. And things may not make sense. But this is not our home. Why? Number two, darkness is at work. Verse 26, when the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted in good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer explained. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. And so the weeds that we're looking at, it's called Darnell weeds. And when wheat and Darnell weeds are in the young stage, they look very similar. It's hard to tell them apart. It's only when they grow to maturity, to harvest time, can you, dis- you can see there's a distinct difference between the wheat and the weeds. And these, these workers had worked hard, and they realized, man, we put good seed in the ground. How did these weeds get in here? We, you know, and they were frustrated, and so they go to the, to the owner and said, hey, should we pull them out? And notice the farmer says, I know where they came from. Why? Because Jesus saw it. And he sees what goes on in your life and my life as well. He's not unaware of the weeds attempting to overthrow your life. And he says, the enemy, the enemy, that's where they came from. The enemy's done this. And so... We come to this point in the story that um, the enemy Satan is always trying to thwart what God's wanting to do in your life. Have you noticed that? Um, Sometimes you can see in people's lives that take a step towards God. You know, it looks like there's movement, there's growing, there's maturity taking place, and then you know, a month, two months later, they've kind of drifted back and beyond from where they had started. The enemy causes the problem. But here's something to hang on to this morning. The weeds could not stop the growth 
of the wheat. The weeds did not stop the growth of the wheat. Which means, friends, you do not have to become intimidated by living near weeds. You don't have to live in fear. The fact of the matter is, and Jesus knows this, you can flourish in that environment when you keep your eyes on him. And that's the key. Ruth Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, years ago, tells an account of when she had a conversation with a young college student from India who once told her, I would like to believe in Christ. We of India would like to believe in Christ, but we have never seen a Christian who was like Christ. Well, Ruth Graham at the time consulted with Dr. Akbar Haq. He was a former Muslim, grew up in Pakistan. He had heard about the gospel, the love of Jesus Christ, and over time he placed his faith in Jesus. And so when Ruth came to him and asked him, you know, how should I respond to this young woman from India? And he answered, that is quite simple. I would tell her, I am not offering you Christians, I am offering you Christ. (laughs) And there you have it. Human beings, we tend to fail and fall short. But we need to offer Jesus because he alone is perfect. And so let it be, as you and I have decided this morning to raise that banner for the cause of Jesus Christ, no longer keeping it in the trunk of our cars, but pulling it out and pointing people to that great name, Jesus Christ. Number three, God doesn't panic. Verse 29 So the workers are asking him, should we pull the weeds out? No, he replied, you'll uproot the wheat. If you do, let both grow together until the harvest. Once again, when you see weeds, instinctively your brain says, pull the weeds, destroy the weeds. You know? We want to get rid of them. Jesus says, no, 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 don't do that. When people were looking at Jeffrey Dahmer, God wasn't panicking in heaven because he realized that wasn't the last chapter of Jeffrey's story. God's grace would creep into that prison and invade the life of Jeffrey Dahmer and allow him to put his faith in Jesus Christ. You see, God doesn't panic. Sometimes when we look at people, we look at situations, we you know, our our blood pressure starts to spike, we start to worry and fret, and we think, man, it's a hopeless situation. God doesn't panic. And I'm glad he doesn't. We see a similar story back in Luke 9. It says in verse 51, As time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Okay, let's, let's pause for a moment. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Why? Because he's going to be tried unfairly. He's going to be crucified and tortured for the sins of the world. Jesus knew what he was up against. In fact, he asked his father to take that cup of suffering from him. But instead, it says here, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. You and I 
have that same responsibility. And when we put our faith in Christ, we have to be resolute in that decision and that choice to live for Christ no matter what. We have to, it says he set out for Jerusalem. I am setting out for heaven, man. I've set my course. I'm going to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. That's what Jesus was doing here. Well, he sent messengers ahead to to the Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. The Samaritans came out with banners. They had the band from the local village play. TV cameras were out. Oh, Jesus, we're so glad you're here. No, that's not what it says. Verse 53, but the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how the Samaritans hated the Jews and the Jews hated the Samaritans. And you see it right here, come to life again. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, should we pull the weeds? That's basically what they're saying. Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? Lord, should we hit the red button and nuke them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. So they went on to another village. Isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't go into the Samaritan village and verbally go after the citizens there. How come you're not welcoming me? No, he lets it go. He he doesn't panic. What he does address is James and John, you need to chill, man. You know, it's okay. If they're not going to welcome us, we're just going to go on to another village. Let it go. Why? Because God sees it all. We get all worked up, you know. Man, we we need to jump in and help God out. We go uh, dial into Amazon and we get our flamethrowers, man. We're going we're gonna to nuke these people. Bad, you know. God's up in heaven and he's just saying, man, what's the matter with you? I'm in control. I see it. There's a reason that the weeds are growing with the wheat. You're going to be fine. You're going to flourish uh, through it all. So... Lord, do you want us to pull the weeds? Do you want us to destroy the evil? Do you want us to teach them a lesson? Aren't we good at doing stuff like that? But in the process, we defame the great name of Jesus, friend. We start majoring on minors instead of what's most important, and that is proclaiming the gospel, living for Christ, modeling his character, pointing people to Jesus. There are good and bad seeds, children of God, children of Satan. So, why not panic? Why, why shouldn't we panic? Why doesn't God panic? Because God made a way for the weeds to become wheat. That's why. God made a way for Jeffrey Dahmer to put his faith in Jesus Christ. That's just one example out of how many. That is why God is being patient even right now because he doesn't want anybody to perish, to be eternally separated from him, but he wants every person. That's his desire, that every person put their faith in him. That's what he wants. That's why he's waiting. That's why he's allowing the weeds to grow with the wheat. Why? 
Because God makes a way for weeds to become wheat. Aren't you glad for that? Yeah. Yeah. Number four, Jesus pulls back the curtain. Verse 36, leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went inside the house and his disciples said, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. And Jesus replied, the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is in the end of the world and the harvesters are the angels. What I like about this is that as a follower of Jesus Christ, he's pulling back the curtains so that his people can look into the future. We don't get all the details, but we kind of get an outline of what we can expect in the future. And once again, I referred to Pete Briscoe when we, how the story ends series that we did on Wednesday nights. In the book of Daniel, we look into the future and how it's going to end. Jesus is doing the same thing here. He's pulling back the curtain and telling his men, this is what's going to happen when the world ends. Man, I remember growing up as a little dude, the Wizard of Oz. And the dude that was behind the curtain, he was on that organ, you know, and he had the microphone in his voice that he was intimidating. That guy was creepy, wasn't he? That's how a lot of people see God, you know. He's, he's behind the curtain, and he's got a microphone, and he's got a creepy voice waiting for you and I to mess up, and he's going to... It's not God. Look at God pulls back the curtain. Why? Because he loves you and I, and he's giving us a glimpse of the future so that we're not unaware. Isn't that great? Man, Lord, thank you for pulling back the curtain because you love us. And so Jesus is going to send his angels, and they're not going to be visible during the harvest. Angelic activity goes on behind the scenes. I read this a couple weeks ago in 2 Kings 6, the king of Aram kept wanting to go after Israel, and Israel always seemed to be in position by the time Aram came to fight. And so the king is saying, hey, who's a traitor? Who's tipping us off with Israel? And, you know, the guy says, hey, there's no traitors here. There's a man of God in in Israel, and God tells him what we're going to do ahead of time. That's the problem. And so the king says, okay, let's send an army and take care of them. And they send out a few drones to find out where Elisha would be, and they found that he's in Dothan, and, and so they end up coming in. He brought a great army, many chariots and horses surrounding the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. And he says to Elisha, hey, what are we going to do? We're surrounded. And Elisha says, don't be afraid. In other words, don't panic. For there are more on our side than on theirs. And verse 17, Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. 
And the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots. In other words, it was an angelic host. Man, if we could only... Lord, will you open our eyes to see what you're doing behind the scenes? These angels that are going to go out and harvest at the end of the world. Last week when we were at the Creation Museum, Debbie and I were able to see the, the creation story on video. And they, when you came into the room, they gave you 4D glasses to put on. And I can tell you, they were not the flimsy ones that you get at the dollar store. I mean, they were heavy duty. They're battery operated. And so you put these things on, and when, when they're showing the film of God creating the world, and the animals, man, they're crew, they're all... You're trying to hide for cover, man, because here comes a rhino right at you, you know. That's how it is. Man, if God could only give us the glasses we could see behind the scenes that what he's doing and how he's doing it, he's got angels working on your behalf. Hebrews 13, 2, it says, we entertain angels unaware. They're showing up all the time. God uses them as messengers, and, and so there we have it. We see that Jesus is working to bring people into the kingdom of God and Satan is working to keep them out. And even this morning, I would submit to you that Satan is dealing with someone or several people. You don't want to do that. You You don't want to put your faith in Christ. But we have to remember, friends, that There's a battle raging, Ephesians 6, 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. 1 Peter 5, 8, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Man, we know that the enemy is going to try and derail us. You'll find a weakness in our lives and, you know, attack it full steam. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And so the enemy, Satan... Wants to deceive. Look at the um, look at the uh, cartoon character of uh, of Satan here. Um, this is kind of how he wants you to think of him. You know, he's, he's kind of a joke. You, you can't take him seriously. But I would I would submit to you this morning. I have I have seen. Darkness from Satan. Tangible darkness. Evil. But I also have experienced darkness from people that call themselves Christians. The same 
sense of demonic activity. And Satan likes to infiltrate and he likes to uh, compromise the body of Christ. I've seen it. And when you you experience darkness and demonic activity, there is never a debate that that is who Satan is. That, That is a joke. He's real. And even though our seminaries today are saying there is no devil and there is no hell, Jesus himself was tempted by Satan. And so Jesus is saying there is a devil. It's in the Bible. But the fact of the matter is, friends, we do not have to be intimidated. We do not have to fear when darkness is around because Jesus is saying you will flourish next to the weeds. You will grow. You will produce a harvest. And I'll tell you this morning as well, one of our children, I remember going into the bedroom and in the corner of that bedroom, on the bed, in a fetal position, curtains pulled, dark. And going in and having to pray over that child. Why? Because there was a battle raging for the soul. And if you're a parent here this morning, I want to tell you something. There, there is a great battle raging for the souls of your children. And what are you going to do about it? You're just going to look at Satan as, you know, he's just a cartoon character, you know. It, it, it's going to get better. It's okay. Just something they're going through. Friend, as a parent, you have a responsibility to pray, to be proactive in using that great name of Jesus over the lives of your children. And I want to encourage you to do that. So, Jesus pulls back the curtain and he's showing the wheat and the weeds together. Number five, the weeds won't last forever. Verse 30b, then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them in the bundles and burn them and to put the wheat in the barn. Verse 40, just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. Jesus is talking about the future here. The Son of Man will, be, will send his angels and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is saying, it looks like people who sin get away with it. It looks like the weeds will always be with us for all eternity. And Jesus is saying, the weeds will not last forever because there is coming a day when justice will be served. A God who is love, but a God who is just. And if they reject him, and that's why he is waiting, and he's allowing the wheat and the weeds to grow together because he's waiting for the weeds to become wheat. And that's where you and I come in. Raise the banner where we are. So the weeds become wheat. But the weeds will not last forever. There is coming a day when they will stand before God and have to give an account of their lives. And God will judge and separate his children from Satan's children. 
some people make this mistake. They think, well, God's not acting, so guess what? I can get away with it. You know, People just think, well, God's ignoring it. He doesn't care. He's not concerned. But there's coming a day. And that's what Jesus is pointing out here. There is coming a day when justice will be served. And God is faithful with that. Number six, listen. The wheat will shine forever. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom, and anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. That's what... That's what Jesus is saying this morning. It's a good thing when you're wheat, you're going to last forever. Not only last forever, but you're going to shine in the Father's kingdom. You have ears this morning? Well, if you do, Jesus is saying, pay attention, listen. Because he's relating to your culture and my culture in 2019. The wheat is growing next to the weeds. And that's okay. Whatever you're going through, whatever your work environment, God has you right where he wants you to raise the banner of Christ so that the weeds will be able to hear about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why he's waiting, the great love of God. And so that's where we have the responsibility to tell people about Jesus Christ. God's patient. God doesn't panic. We shouldn't either, friend. When this world goes dark, the light of Christ becomes bright. And we have a privilege of living and serving him in 2019. And in Matthew 12, 30, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. Some of you this morning, you're saying, man, I'm neutral. I'm not on God's team or Satan's team. Jesus says, if you're not for me, you're against me. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me automatically. Anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. And so there's no middle ground. You're either for God or you're against him. It's one or the other. You're either wheat or you're weeds. Very similar to the narrow gate, the wide gate. The rock, building your house on the rock, or you build it on the sand. You're either wise or you're foolish. You're prepared or you're unprepared. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. Just two options. It's one or the other. There's not five selectives, choices that you've got. And so this morning, as we look at the wheat will shine forever. What a great day that's going to be. So, you know I like this book, and I am reminded of the wheat and the weeds and the story of Darlene Dibler Rose, who was a missionary during the late 30s and into the 40s, and she and her husband were taken by the Japanese. Her husband was put in a men's camp, and she was put in a woman's camp, prisoner of war camp. She was tortured. Her husband died in that camp. And Darlene talks about the conditions. And one day she's invited in to the commander of the Japanese camp by the commander himself because he's been watching her. 
And in the midst of the chaos and the pain and the suffering, Darlene raised her banner high for the cause of Jesus Christ. And she writes, Mr. Yamaji, I don't sorrow like people who have no hope. I want to tell you about someone, someone with a capital S, of whom you may never have heard. I learned about him when I was a little girl in Sunday school back in Boone, Iowa, in America. His name is Jesus. He's the son of Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. God opened the most wonderful opportunity to lay the plan of salvation before the Japanese camp commander. Tears started to course down his cheeks. He died for you, Mr. Yamaji, and he puts love in our hearts, even for those who are enemies. That's why I don't hate you, Mr. Yamaji. Maybe God brought me to this place and this time to tell you that he loves you. Wheat, weeds. With tears running down his cheeks, he rose hastily and went into his bedroom, closing the door. I could hear him blowing his nose and knew that he was still crying. We weren't supposed to leave the presence of a Japanese officer without permission. I sat quietly praying for his salvation, that he might understand new life in Christ Jesus and someday go home to share God's love with his wife and his family, to be a light in some dark, possibly even remote area of Japan. Why does God have you positioned where you are in this world? Could it be God has brought you to a place at this time to tell those weeds that Jesus loves them? Could it be? God is not panicking, and neither should you or me. We have an opportunity to allow God to turn the weeds into wheat, and you can be part of that process. Father, we thank you this morning on the great love that you have for people. And Lord, so often we want to jump in and help you because maybe we're feeling a little uncomfortable, but you're saying, Lord, hey man, don't panic. I, I see what's going on. I'm going to pour my grace into your life. My desire is that the weeds become wheat. Lord, will you help us have that same mindset? Help us, Lord, to raise that banner for Christ high over our lives. Just like you love Jeffrey Dahmer. Just like You love that criminal hanging on the cross next to you. So you love each one of us in this room this morning. And as you've heard that story from Christ this morning, is there a next step that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you about? God's pulled back the curtain this morning to give you a glimpse into the future to let you know that everything's going to be okay. And God wants to use you as the wheat in the field where he's planted you.